This is the Portside Pod, the official podcast of the Stockton Ports. I'm the voice of the Ports, Alex Jensen, and on today's episode, 2019 Ports outfielder Mickey McDonald joins the show and shares how he stayed in shape during 2020, discusses the strengths of his game, and much more. Hey, Ports fans, be the first one of your friends to bring home a Sugar Skull Caballos bobblehead. In celebration of Hispanic Heritage Month, a limited number of these bobbleheads, which will be a giveaway at Banner Island Ballpark in 2021, are now available at the Dock Shop. Just a limited number will be sold before next season, so act now. Visit the Dock Shop at ports.milbstore.com. During these trying times, Chase Chevrolet is still open and here to serve you. With their EasyPass service, you can shop online and have your new pre-owned vehicle delivered right to your door. Learn more at chasechevrolet.com slash EasyPass. 2019 Ports outfielder Mickey McDonald is our guest. Actually, I guess pretty much utility, Mickey, although I know you played mostly outfield this past year with the Ports. But, uh, hey, man, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. I know um, – it's a crazy time right now for everybody. It would have been about a month into the off season by now, but uh, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. Just uh, settling in here in Chicago now for the uh, for the off season or whatever you want to call this now that the season got canceled. But um, yeah, thank you for having me on. So excited to excited to be on here. Oh, I appreciate you coming on. So you're you're in Chicago. You went to college in Chicago. We'll get to that because you are a Bay Area native uh, yeah. out of San Mateo. Has it started to get cold yet? Because I, you just told me uh, before I hit record here how cold the winters get. I've heard from other people how brutal the winters are in Chicago. Has it gotten cold yet at all? Uh, actually, it's been pretty good except for today. It's been uh, rainy and windy. The Cubs game actually got canceled today or postponed to tomorrow, the playoff game. But um, So today has actually been the first bad weather day since I've been here. I've been here for like a month now. So uh, mm-hmm. besides that, it's been good so far. Have you been to Wrigley? Yeah, a lot of times, especially in college, we go down there and just watch the games. You know, just not. I've been to a few games, but just like the scene outside the uh, stadium and everything, it's good. They got the uh, the big crowds out there, but I haven't been there with the COVID and everything. I don't know what the, right. what it looks like this past month or season. It's probably not the same. I've, I yeah, you know, I, would I imagine it's not the same as before, but yeah. I can't remember. I think it was on this podcast. I had a conversation with somebody about Wrigleyville, which is what you're talking about, and just yeah. how awesome it is. I mean, that's that's the next park on the list for me. Chicago is probably the next American city on the list for me, Mickey, to be honest with you. I mean, you like it enough to make that your offseason home now. Uh, but yeah. Is that the funnest part about Cubs games uh, is, is Wrigleyville, Wrigleyville and the atmosphere around the ballpark? I mean, I've heard that's like one of a kind. Yeah, I just think all the fans are just everyone's together. Everyone's, you know, it's a super like friendly. I guess the friendly confines. They, uh, everyone's super friendly into the game. It's a, uh, you know, the bleacher seats are fun. It's a younger crowd, and uh, I don't know. It's just the at, the whole atmosphere there is just it's different than any other park I've been to. It's hard to put my finger on exactly what it is, but it's just like a fun, like loving environment. Everyone's happy. Everyone's, you know, everyone's excited to be there. So. Yeah, it's definitely a, uh, an experience you got to uh, you got to go to. Oh, I, yeah, I, I I can't wait to go at some point. I mean, I, and and Chicago as a city, like I mean, I've kind of yeah. you know not exactly the same, but everyone's told me that Chicago is a place you have to go. What makes Chicago special? Um, I don't know. Kind of along the same lines as just coming from the Bay Area to here. The biggest thing I noticed was just in, like in general, everyone's a super you know. Um, 
everyone likes conversation. Everyone's super happy. And there's not a lot of like drama or conflict with what I ran into. Every, it just seems like uh, everyone's just nice here. I don't, I don't, that's the best way to explain it. You know, it's a, it's a fun, loving city and everyone's a, it's a good time. So yeah, I love it. I, I, like you said, I come here every off season. I got, I mean, I, I have my girlfriend out here too, who's from around here, but uh, mm -hmm. I, yeah, I love Chicago. It's, it's the best. That sounds like a great spot. None too happy today in the South side though, as uh, yeah, the A's right. just uh, literally minutes before I hit record here, the A's just eliminated the White Sox. So uh, we do like to see that. That, yes, that much is for that. sure. Yeah. All right, man. So uh, how, how have you spent your days during like from the times everything was shut down in spring training until now, like obviously you moved to Chicago a month ago. It seems like people are learning more and more about this virus every day. So maybe a little bit of normalcy is coming back, but like, you know, in the throes of the quarantine, what did your days look like as, as a ball player that didn't know whether you would have a 2020 season or not? Yeah. Well, I mean, originally when we first got sent home, it was, the first thing they told us was like, all right, like a couple of weeks, stay ready type type deal. So I was just trying to find a place to hit, try to find a place to lift, stay in shape. And everything's closing down while all that's happening. So just pretty much scrapping together as much physical activity as I can do to try to stay ready. And then as the weeks kind of went on, we started getting more information, kind of started to realize that our season was in jeopardy. So then it was more and everything was shut down, especially in the Bay Area, as you know, like it was hard to find anywhere. Luckily, I had a place that I could hit at um, for the majority of it, just in case we did have a season or whatever um, case scenario. But uh, so I had a place to hit. And then for lifting, all the gyms are shut down. So just stay at home. I had a couple sets of dumbbells and stuff I can do at home to stay as ready as I can. And then um, actually, they had some it's called on base U. It's a lot to do with like the movements of like your hips and your knees, ankles, everything like mobility. So they actually gave me a routine specific to like what I do bad, like my hips or my knees personalized to me. So, and that's all stuff you can do at home, really easy stuff. You don't need any weights or anything, just kind of kind of like arm circles, but for your hips and knees and stuff. But uh, so at least that was some sort of routine to, stay ready and kind of go throughout every day and have the same feel to it instead of just sitting around all day trying to not go crazy during quarantine because nothing's open. You're lucky you had a, a set of dumbbells. I mean, I, like my girlfriend and I have been working out at the park. Uh, we're still doing <laughs> it actually, but every like, you know, probably once every couple of weeks, I have these dumbbells I've had since I was like 15, but apparently oh. dumbbells are like really hard to come by right now. Like oh, every, yeah, I think you can't up, find yeah. them anywhere. Yeah, I, I think a lot of like fitness like at home, that stuff that you would have at home is all sold out right now. Like it's crazy. But um, yeah, I had, they're old, mine are old too, since we've had them since I've been young. So we had a couple of that, we had a band and had like a little mini bar, but it's not even a real barbell. It's like a mini barbell with a couple of But it was enough to, you know, do some stuff at home and kind of stay as ready as I could with what, what I had. So how did that evolve? Like once you got, I mean, obviously probably slowly got to the point where you like you probably realized before the, the announcement was even made that, Hey, I, there's going to be no 2020 season. Right. So yeah. were you able to find like live pitching to face, you know, I mean, you probably were yeah. able to find a cage because you were, you were here in the Bay area until about a month ago. Right. Yeah. So I, I was in the Bay area and yeah, you're right. Like I got most, I mean, the, the A staff would check in as much as they could, you know, every week or two weeks, whatever. And I, I get it's hard because there's so many people to keep up with. 
but um so they would check in and it'd mostly be like how like how's your routine going like what's your body weight uh stay ready of course like for anything and then you see on twitter at the same time everything like the season's probably not going to happen so you're kind of hearing two different things almost and uh but just mentally blocking that out and just at worst you want to be ready in case the season is happening so you're preparing still as much as you can uh actually wasn't able to find any live pitching but we had a machine and enough stuff at the cage to at least stay ready for because i was already coming off spring training i was just getting ready when they shut us down so i just seen enough live pitching then but then just the machine the velo machine was enough to uh, kind of stay ready through that month or two that leading until they officially canceled our season Velo machine, do you, do you have like a, is there like a slider machine there too? Like one that yeah, spins off some usually, sliders? Yeah, uh, for my bat, I only had a couple uh, wooden bats left, so I didn't want to do too much with my machine just to trade fastballs for good enough. But uh, yeah, just seeing, just seeing anything fast coming at me was good enough, you know. I mean, flips are good and all, but I mean, you see what those guys are throwing right now. I'm gonna, <laughs> everyone's throwing 100 with 90 mile per hour sliders. It looks impossible, so you got to have some velo mixed in there. It's unbelievable, man. And just to like, kind of like get off track for a second, like it seems like fastball velocity is, especially in the last 15, 20 years, like there, there's a jump, like, you know, yeah. I mean, incrementally, obviously, but, you know, you go back 20 years, I mean, one or two guys are throwing 98 miles an hour. It seems like every team has like two or three guys. So in, in the future, could you see them maybe like moving the mountain back a little bit? Because if everyone's throwing 105 miles an hour, Mickey, yeah, like, I, mean, I don't know I how so. you see the ball. <laughs> Whatever makes it easier, I'm, I'm in favor for. But yeah, it's every team has got somebody throws 100, two guys. I mean, in the big leagues, they got every bullpens, everyone's throwing upper 90s. Yeah. Um, this is like the days of seeing, you know, the midweek 85 straight with maybe a little, maybe a little run on it, I think are over for for me. So. Those are always the nice days to be like, get the average up, little stat booster days. But yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy to see to see those guys. Just everyone's going so hard with such good off speed. So, I mean, but it's good. It's a challenge, you know. Stay ready. It gets you that much more confidence when you do hit it. You get fired up and know you can compete with that. So it's good. I remember talking to to Trace Lair earlier this summer, and he was telling me like, you know, when he signed out of high school, right? So he was telling me when he first got to the rookie league. These guys, these guys are 16 years old throwing, you know, 97, 98 miles an hour. No idea where it's going. I'm sure you've yeah. been in that situation before. Yeah, the easier. That's a notorious. Like? What is that like? Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I mean, I, I mean, I came from college, so I had a little exposure to it. But even then, like, very rare, like, upper 90s, a lot of, like, 90 to 92 guys. But, right. yeah, you get to the AZL, and it's a lot of, a lot of guys who are, throwing hard and you know fastballs are coming which is nice but they have no idea where it's going you're standing up there just like ah, I just you don't know if you're getting the ball over your head or you don't know where it is but yeah it's not a very comfortable at bat so but you know it's it's good I guess you got to see it <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. you got to see hey it prepares you for what's to come right I right mean, yeah if you're going to be mean, facing I'd rather face a guy throwing 100 that uh that knows where it's going you know guys that are wild it's super it's already hard enough to hit but even harder when you got to worry about a ball coming at your head or getting out of the way of something so as long as they know where it's going it's i'm good with it i don't care how fast it is but 
Uh, dude, I stopped hitting after high school. Once we got to like 88, 89 miles an hour, that was good for me. I could move to the mound after that. <laughs> <Yeah>. you <know? laughs> uh, so what do you, what do you feel like you got out of 2020 as a player? Like, do you, do you feel like you were able to improve? Like I know they were, they were giving you feedback. You probably had some things that, you know, the A's wanted you to work on as a player, but what do you feel like you got out of this year? Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, what I've got, I think is, outside of ba- stuff that relates to baseball, just like my diet, I've taken the quarantine to really like focus on my nutrition and stuff like that. Like the things, basically everything that I can control from home that got taken away because I'm used to obviously playing every day during the season. So I really worked on my diet, trying to eat more fruits and vegetables, more like going grocery shopping instead of just going to McDonald's or Taco Bell. Like a lot of times, I'm sure as you know, like on the road, that's your best bet when you're yeah. – on a long road trip, you have a little pit stop for 30 minutes. You got to go to the fast food store. So just trying to eat better food. And then uh, kind of with that on base you stuff that I was talking about with the mobility, um, I've always been pretty flexible, but they had all these tests at spring training. And um, like for me, it's my knees, like the way they like externally and internally rotate, they can mm-hmm. they have room to improve. So they gave me a whole routine with kind of helping with that process. So just uh, just the little stuff that I was able to do from home was my biggest improvement since there was nothing really on the field that I was able to do. But I mean, as a player, I want the power to really come along for me. It's my, kind of been my biggest thing for a while now, just trying to get a little bigger and hit for a little more power. But obviously it was hard this year with uh, not being able to get the results after last off season, trying to, put some weight on and uh, do some more damage for you do you I mean to to add that power uh does it have anything to do and obviously you you want to put weight on but does it have anything to do with your mechanics your hitting mechanics your swing mechanics as well yeah I think it's I mean they go hand in hand I just think the weight makes it you know a little more room for air you know right if I'm 200 pounds as opposed to 180 pounds and I, I miss it by that much it's uh gives me a little bit more opportunity to still do damage right now. I got to get it right on the barrel to, to get any damage going. So, but yeah, definitely mechanically and stuff, but you also don't want to take away from the contact and strike. So it's, it's all a balancing act of, yeah. you know, I can just swing as hard as I can every time and just try to do damage. I strike out a lot more, but so it's hard to find that perfect mix of, you know, picking your counts two Oh three one to really get your swing off and try to do some damage. And then, knowing two strikes all right gotta you know maybe choke up a little bit and put something in play here so it, it all ties into it but yeah be, for me just getting the weight up I think would in general just improve everything what do you feel like as a player your strengths are uh I've always just been you know like that like utility can play anywhere on the field just kind of rely on my athletic ability I, you know I can play outfield play infield uh but uh, put the bat on the ball, run fast, put pressure on the defense has been my my big uh, thing my whole life, really, just um, scoring, scoring runs on the bases. You know, get on, steal, and let the big guys who can't hit the ball 480 feet drive me in. So, uh, obviously, I, I would love to be turned into one of those guys, but, you know, I got to take what I do, take what I do good and uh, try to set the table for those guys. So, I guess a table setter would be my uh, – would be my mo right now as a uh, as a baseball player. Well, do you think like because I, I feel like 
the last few years, we've gone so far to the extreme of the three true outcome guys, you know, home run, strike out, walk, for those of you who aren't familiar with that. Uh, Listen to this right now. What do you think, because I I think that we're getting a little bit more, I think it's getting pulled a little bit more toward the middle, where we're still not to where, you know, uh, teams prefer bat on ball, scrappy type of guys. And obviously, like you said, you want to be able to hit the ball over the fence when you get your pitch, right? But do you feel like the type of player you are, do you feel like that's becoming maybe a little bit more valuable than it was two or three years ago? Yeah, I mean, I think it's always going to be valuable. Like, just hit – I mean, hitters hit. At the end of the day, hitters hit. But I just think, like we were talking earlier, with how good the pitchers are nowadays, it's so hard to string together three or four hits to, you know, put those innings – put those innings together that that three outcome is your best chance. And I think they break that down a lot with the analytics and all that stuff that you have a better chance if you have three at-bats of hitting one ball over a fence and getting all three hits. And then, you know, it's – I think it all just evolves with pitching and everything in general. But, yeah, I think it plays to my strength being able to be a bat-on-ball guy, especially against – those pitchers that do have the plus stuff. Um, so it, it, it is, I do see both sides of that argument as far as the all or nothing or the in the middle kind of contact guy, but I don't know. It, it, it's both sides have good arguments for me. You do bring up a great point. Like the pitchers are getting, they're throwing so hard now that it, it is really difficult to string a bunch of hits together and a bunch of good at bats together for that matter. Um, yeah. I got to ask you about the style of pitching and how it's evolved too and facing that because I I talked to Nick Heiberger about this, you know, how it seems like, you know, when I, when I was a pitcher, uh, you know, back, we're going back 2008 before, but Uh the the, the emphasis was throwing the ball down the zone, throwing the ball with tilt, filling up the zone with the knees where, where now it seems like uh, there is much more of an emphasis on the four seam fastball for a lot of guys, especially guys that have a little fuzz behind it. Right. And and pitching at the top of the zone as a hitter, you know, when, when you see a guy like that, how does it change your approach? Yeah, it, it's almost like an illusion. Like, you almost have to swing. Like, sometimes I'm, like, trying to swing over the ball. Like, I'm trying to almost miss it on top of it just because it looks, like, right, you know, like, right below the letters. It looks so good. Your eyes light up. You're like, oh, I'm going to crush this. And then you swing, and it's just by you over the barrel. And you're just, and you're just step out of the box so confused. Like, I, I thought I was on that ball. So you almost have to like swing like you're trying to miss it over it. We played um, when we were in Corpus Christi, their whole staff, like the entire staff was like 95 plus. They only threw fastballs at the top of the zone and like 12, six curveballs in the dirt. Like every scouting report was identical. It was, they're going to throw fastballs at your letters and they're going to throw 12, six curveballs in the two strike zone. But still like, you know, it's coming and it's, you just, you're trained for so long to see the ball and like swing at the ball. And you just, it's, it's like a visual, it's almost like a, uh, like it's weird. It's really weird to explain. You have to almost try to miss the ball like over it. So I don't know. You just kind of learn with more at bats you get, more times you face it. That's kind of little stuff. You learn how to, how to combat it. Right. And then you mentioned like the optical illusion, like the almost like how the ball rises a little bit, like it really gets on you. I mean, that's got to be because like you said, you've trained yourself for so long for the ball to be coming down when it gets to the plate. And if it just Uh like it had that extra little ride, that little giddy up. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine how hard that is to adjust. Yeah, it's super, it's super hard to adjust to. It's and it's weird 
swinging like your plan is to like swing over the thing your whole life you've been trying to hit it like try to hit the ball I put the barrel on it now you're trying to like missed it almost to hit it so it, it is weird it just goes against everything I've done really my whole life but it's all right you, you, you adjust you, you gotta be athletic with it and just kind of kind of play see ball hit ball at the end of the day make it's interesting you mentioned the Corpus Christi too, because if I'm not mistaken, that is an Astros affiliate. And I know, uh, or at least I've heard that, that, that Houston teaches that four seam fastball up in the zone to a 12, six breaking ball. I mean, they kind of, you know, if, you, if you're listening, if you're familiar with Garrett Cole, like that's how Garrett Cole kind of evolved his game more, you know, less of a two seam guy to a four seam guy with some ride. Do, do you see that like with certain organizations that have a bunch of guys that kind of look the same or they teach the same type of thing? Yeah, totally, especially with the Astros, because they were, um, when I was in Beloit, Quad Cities, they did the same exact thing, too. They were fastballs up, curveballs down. So, yeah, I think that's kind of almost the general, like, the majority of teams do that kind of style now, just with, yeah. I think, all, like, the analytics and everything that just shows that's the recipe for success right now. But, um, yeah, you definitely notice trends within different pitching staffs and how they're kind of trying to approach you and get you out. Especially in like the California League, you only you only play the same seven what seven teams every time. So you feel like like I felt like we played the Modesto nuts fifty times last year. Like every week I was facing the same pitcher. So you get that, but it makes it fun. So it's that cat and mouse of like okay, like last week you were doing this to me all week. Like you're gonna mess up or stay with it. But uh, so yeah, you definitely catch on to some patterns of how they're trying to get you out. So, but it's it makes it fun. Hey, what do you remember about spring training uh, this season? Did you make it down to spring training? Because I know certain guys weren't quite there yet, or maybe you just got into town. What do you remember yeah, about I was, that? I actually, I had, the, uh, I had the opportunity to go to mini camp, so I was able to go early and be there for pretty much all of February. I think after like February 13th or something. So I was working out down there, and uh, it was good. It was just uh, mini camps, basically just the same routine as spring training, just a kind of smaller group of guys. You just get your work in every day, you do your outfield drills. I do some infield stuff, take your BP, and then when the pitchers have their innings that they have to throw, you just go face live. And then a couple times, um, if you had the, if you're lucky enough, you got to go back up the big league game. So it was good. It was a good fun month. You got to see how those guys go about their business. So that was the coolest part for me, just getting to see those guys and watch how they go about their business, how their routines are, and uh, yeah. yeah, it was a really good experience. I feel like that's an extra boost of confidence for you to be, to be invited to the mini camp and like, you know, get down there early, get, you know, like you said, get your work in with a smaller group of guys. Is that something that kind of helps build your confidence? Yeah, totally helps build the confidence. And it's nice to have kind of more eyes on you. You know, I've been to three spring trainings and they've you kind of, it's almost like a swarm. You kind of get lost in the mix sometimes when everyone gets there. So this is my first chance to go down there in this like mini camp format. So you're pretty much got full access to all the facilities, all the coaches, whenever you really need them. So that part of it was awesome too. So yeah, for the confidence was great. Just get to work in that smaller group and get more of that one-on-one -on -one time with some of the coaches. So yeah, it was great. It's the perfect time to purchase a new car today at Chase Chevrolet. Take advantage now of model year-end inventory reduction prices and supplier pricing on select 2019 vehicles. You can always count on Chase Chevrolet for the best prices, best service, and easiest car buying experience. And now, back to our episode. I want to get to your career now, man. So you're, you're like we said, you're a Bay Area native, but you, you went to Sarah High School here in San Mateo, yep. just across the bay from, uh, well, I guess... 
hour and change from Stockton. Probably yeah. not two hours, actually. Yeah. Your family get to come see you a lot when you were in, in Stockton? Yeah, uh, more, when I was in Sa- more when we played in San Jose. But, right. yeah, um, yeah, when we played in San Jose, it was fun. All my friends, family, grandparents, aunts, uncles, everyone came out. So it was like a party in San Jose when we get up. In San Jose when we go. But, uh, yeah, Stockton a couple times they came out too. So, yeah, it was fun being home and playing, especially because I went to school in Chicago. So, that was the first time in a while, really, that I got too much family at the games. I mean, they'd fly out every once in a while in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And it's a 30-minute drive away. It's a lot easier. I was going to ask you, man. You read my mind. You you ended up at the University of Illinois, Chicago, the Flames, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, right. <laughs> Curtis Granderson Field, is that right? Did Curtis Granderson yep. go to He's, USC? Uh, yeah, he donated a bunch of money. It's awesome field. They got the skyline view. In the, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of it. I saw a picture. Yeah, it's got the nice – got the, the Sears Tower right, right there, right? Background. Yep, yeah. That's incredible. So, yeah, so it's awesome. And then a uh, nice field. They got a sweet indoor facility for the winners. It's a nice mm-hmm. turf, turf infield. Nice batting cages. They got the hit tracks machine. They got everything. It's a, it's a sweet setup. The hidden gem, for sure. Oh, no doubt about it. I was blown away when I saw it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. is this school's in the Horizon League. I had no yeah. idea. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, but how'd you end up there? I mean, from the uh, Bay Area of Chicago. Yeah, so actually the cage I've hit at my whole, since I've been like 10, the, the guy who runs it is Curtis Granderson's agent. So he, oh, okay. and he's known their coach forever. So he just called him and said, hey, I was going to probably go to a JUCO. He said, come out when I was a senior in high school and come see me. And he came out and saw me play. Invited me on a visit out there. And I loved it. So, I, And I, I, I kind of wanted to get away from home, too, just kind of go independent, live on my own, just away from the parents, away from, you know, everyone. Kind of not that they were hovering over me, but just kind of go out, spread my wings a little bit. And, uh, yeah, it was awesome. It was probably the best decision I've ever made, just being able to come out here and be independent for a little while and it was great and I love it oh in a big city too and it sounds like the campus is is it's pretty close to downtown oh yeah it's right downtown it's a lot I, I compare it to USF of Chicago okay San Francisco it's right downtown you know it's the campus kind of is in the city so yeah it, it's it's a it's an awesome place so what what would you say your main position was coming out of high school because I, I looked at your bio on the UIC website and I saw your first year, you played second, you played third, you played short, I think a little bit of short, yeah. you, like you played everywhere. So I like can't, now I got recruited as a shortstop. Okay. Um, and I played shortstop through the fall, my freshman year. Um, and then the season came, uh, had a rough couple first weeks of my, actually had a good first week, rough sec. We went to Vanderbilt and that team had oh, yeah. Vandy, uh, Bueller, all those guys on it. And I was a freshman. I was just, and I was playing short. I kind of had a rough, uh, rough weekend. So then uh, they moved me to second. So I kind of played the second half of the year at second. Then they moved me to third eventually. Um, so that kind of that freshman year is when I did the most moving. Um, but I played shortstop my whole senior year of high school. And then, um, so yeah, I played pretty much all the infield positions. And I didn't play outfield till my last year at UIC uh we had a couple of seniors graduate and leave so and I was fast so they're like hey you want to go try center field in the fall I was like sure like whatever so I tried it and I loved it it was awesome so and now I got the full package you got everything man like I know you started you started doing playing the outfield like regularly this past year I know but like you were yeah. playing third for a while in Beloit, uh, in Beloit I did kind of 
towards the end, someone got it's, – it always happens. I always start as kind of the outfielder, and then usually an infielder goes down or something, and then I got to fill in for a little while, and I just kind of <laughs> bounce back and forth. But it's nice. I feel like it's better, like, taking – when I go into – like, last year, there was a game at San Jose where someone got hurt. Nick got hurt, and I had to go end up playing third. And I hadn't played third in, like, a year. But – and I got a bunch of balls hit to me, and I made all the plays. I think, like, your mind, <laughs> you forget about it. You're not, like, working at it every day and, like, really focusing on it. You just become – you just kind of go out there, and you're athletic and have fun with it. And it, it made it easier to find. So, it, it's nicer moving around. You don't got to get so stuck in one spot. Well, how much does it help your career, too, being able to play all those different positions? Yeah, just be able to fit a good roster fairly. You know, I can play outfield, infield, wherever. So it's it's it definitely it only benefits me. It makes me more valuable to be able to play all over the field. So, yeah, it's awesome. And I and I like doing it. I genuinely enjoy it. I like to take pride in it, being able to, being able to do that. So it's, it's fun for me. You can thank Ben Zobrist. I mean, that, yeah. that type of versatility really became vers uh, valuable yep. over the last 10 years yeah. or so. Yeah, exactly. But I love Ben Zobrist. Switch hitter, too. Yeah. I've always yeah. been a big Ben Zobrist fan. Take me through your transition, like when, when your coaches at UIC came up to you and said, hey, we want to stick in center field. Take me through that transition of going from a full-time infielder to now a full-time outfielder or, or sort of a utility, if you will. Yeah, so it started as just like – almost like a, hey, like, go try it out. Like, like no, we're not saying you're moving to center. Like, you still play third, but just, like, go spend a week out there and just kind of practice with the outfielders. And then um, whatever, just took, like, BP, did all the drills with them for that week. And then uh, we had an inter-squad series. We did, like, little mini-series in the fall against each other. Um, and I played center field all series and made a couple good plays. And then just ever since then, they just kind of, kept me out there um and I'm still about like I still work like I still do my drills in the infield and go play out because outfield you get most of your work during BP so I would do like the drills like the short hop drills and once BP started I would just go to center field with jag balls just to kind of keep me ready on both sides so um yeah it just kind of it was it was super natural for me playing outfield too, just the routes and everything. I, I never yeah. played it my whole life. Like little league, I've always played infield. So I thought it was gonna be a much bigger transition, but it really was super natural for me. It wasn't too much of a uh I didn't go through too much of a like a rough patch switching to switching to it. That is so you put that so perfectly just about practicing routes like during BP because you can shag fly balls from someone throwing up and hitting them all you want, but it's so much different than taking a ground ball off a fungo, right? Yeah, because right. Uh -huh. the, the trajectory off the bat, reading a swing, I mean, it, there's yeah. so much that goes into to playing a good outfield, right? That the only place, time you really can practice that is in BP. Yeah, BP, I, I always say BP is the best time because there's so many times like you see guys swing and your initial reaction is like, oh my God, he crushed that ball, but he might have caught it off the end or something. It's like a little blooper. So it's as many times as you can see that and react to that, uh, you're just going to get more comfortable with it. So I love BP's, shagging BP for me is the best way to improve outfield. I love it. And it's fun for me. You know, I feel like I'm just like a dog playing fetch, you know, just yeah out there's no pressure you're just kind of seeing testing your limits you know and it's time you can take risks you know you're not going to get yelled at you try to get it take a really short uh route or super efficient route or whatever you just kind of go out there and see what you can do so i love it 
tell me about your career, man. I mean, you know, you, like, like you said, you were pretty under-recruited coming out of high school. Yeah. Uh, it turned into an 18th round pick in, what was it, 2017, 17. I believe? Yes, 2017. Yes. But you've pretty much climbed the ladder, like one rung, two rungs a year. I mean, you've, you've had some pretty steady uh, – your, your ascent has been pretty steady, I guess is the right way to put it. So tell me about, like, each level or, you know, how you go about adjusting to each level and how, yeah. how that's been a challenge for you. Yeah, well, kind of all started my real junior year at UIC. I was kind of ready to go. I was ramping up. It was January, and I got surgery. So I was ready to go for the season, and I got a thoracic outlet syndrome in my shoulder, which is mm. – it would take too long to explain. There's so much stuff. Uh, it's just like a, basically a blood clot with your rib and your clavicle. And I don't know. Um, it was a lot of stuff, and uh, but it was all just from I was born with like high ribs, so like it was nothing that like I could have prevented. It was just a matter of time, I guess. Um, so that was like right before the season was about to start, and that was supposed to be like my junior year, my big year. Like I was fired up, ready to go. I, I was feeling great, and then just to get that whole year kind of taken away mentally, that was tough because I was in a really good spot. I was like ready to roll. And then I played in the Northwoods, uh, wherever. Then my senior or my redshirt junior year at UIC, I kind of struggled. Like I didn't have that great of a year um, offensively. I was good on defense, everything, um, but I, I had much better freshman and sophomore years. Um, still, I guess played well enough to get picked up. So I went out to the uh, AZL to start, and like we were talking about earlier, that was a lot of guys that were just throwing fastballs that didn't really know where they were going, but. For me, like I've always like velos, it, it's hard, but that's always been I can hit like the fastballs. Always been good for me, so that was a nice league to start out in. You just get a lot of fastballs and a lot of advantage counts. You know, they don't you get two zero, three one all the time. So I came out and I and I got off to a really hot start in AZL. Um, then they sent me to Vermont, where I really struggled. I had like a rough patch in Vermont. It was like they sent me there, I want to say for like a month left in the season. I was like the fifth outfielder. So I was playing every third or fourth day, which I mean, so now I've learned, I've learned how to do that better now. But that was my first time really ever not getting like consistent at bats, which it's huge to be able to see that every day. Um, so I struggled that whole like month and a half, wherever I was in Vermont. Then got to the off season, um, kind of got a little rest because I went straight from obviously college to pro ball. So that that first off season was huge, just to kind of get back to neutral, get get, uh, get the body healthy again. Um, and then got to Beloit, and that's where I kind of took off. I kind of started honing in my routine and my approach, and just sticking with one thing at the plate. Um, I think. Because in the AZL, when I got going, I, I kind of hit for some power just randomly. I've never really hit too much power. And I just hit a couple home runs in my first, like, 20 at-bats. And I think I got to Vermont and started trying to take yeah. daddy hacks and hit bombs. So I kind of got back to the lab a little bit and kind of got back to got back to what got me there. Um, so really started honing in my approach in Beloit, and that worked great for me. Um, so finished that season great. Uh, and then another off season, same thing. And Stockton, I kind of struggled. I was back in that. We had a great, awesome outfield. We had Beck, uh, Jameson, Hannah, who's now with the Reds, and Laz, Lazarito. Mm -hmm. um, so I was kind of back in that. Not, I was playing a lot, but it wasn't 
every day. I was kind of given on the off days and then like a DH here, here and there. So, but I kind of got, as that season got going, I started getting hot right before, um, I kind of started learning, like just approach. I, I would get to the field early and I would just be like guessing, like am I, am I in the lineup or am I not in the lineup? Um, so, and then Scar, um, our base running coordinator, came there early in the season like just prepare every day because he was he did that role for a little bit in his career he's like just prepare every day like you're in the lineup like don't even look at the lineup card just go to the field and prepare every day like you're starting in center field you're batting three just do that every day so i just started doing that going to the field then even look lineup and then after bp or whatever while we got our hour to rest i looked lineup if i was in it i was ready to roll if i wasn't in it, i was still ready to roll so that helped me a lot with my uh mm mental routine as far as getting ready for a game sometimes i'd go and it'd be like two days in a row i wouldn't be in there i'd just be like oh man this sucks but whatever so i learned to kind of combat that a little bit and then someone got hurt in midland and then uh got an opportunity to go up there uh went there and it kind of got off to a really good start there um kind of was swinging it well I was just doing my job uh trying to get on base and like i was saying earlier get on base and let the, the big guys uh drive me in, play good defense, just kind of do what I've done my whole life. So, so yeah, it's kind of been the, uh, my, my career thus far. Yeah, what did that mean to you? Because, like, I mean, we, we kind of gave the background, like, like we just said, like, only really had one opera out of high school, 18th round or 17th round. Was it 18th or 17th? I wrote it down. 18th. 18th round pick. You make the double A your, your second full season as a professional. I mean, even if there's an injury, like, I mean, what did it mean to you to be the guy that, that the organization called upon to make that leap to double A in just your second full year? Yeah, it was awesome. Just knowing that, even though, like, if you look at the stats that I was having, to start, like, I was getting hot when I did, did get sent up, which probably worked in my favor because I was feeling good when they did send me up. But I just think the trust of know that I would go up there and be able to hold my own and do what I do. Um, that's a big vote of confidence for me. So, and then I was able to go up there and kind of prove it to myself a little bit. You know, I didn't like mm -hmm. do crazy great or anything, but I was able to, you know, compete and do my job up there and still play at the level that I was, you know, wasn't, there wasn't anything I didn't see, you know, I wasn't shocked or wasn't, didn't feel out of my element at all or anything like that. So it was great just personally and internally to have that confidence that I was able to play at that level and compete and, do what I do and it can still play at that high of a level. So yeah, it was great for me. You touched on such a huge baseball word earlier, which is routine. Uh, you know, when you talked about the evolution of your career yeah. uh, and I think people hear it all the time, but to hear a guy talk about it is something completely different in your own words. I mean, you mentioned your own, your routine and, and how it's benefited you, but in your own words, how important is it for a baseball player uh, I mean, I, you know, it's such a daily sport. How is it, how important is it for a baseball player to get locked into a routine that he's comfortable with? Yeah. I just think like, like you said, comfortable is the word because there's such, it's such a sport where you can have a great week and then you can have the worst week of your life. So just having that comfort and I don't care if I'm 0 for 50 or if I'm 40 for my last four, like fit, whatever, no matter how good or bad I'm doing, I'm doing the same thing. I know like in the long run, this is going to work for me. This is how I get right. And it's one thing that like have that routine and like say that, but until you actually buy into it and trust it and you just do it. Cause some people like I, I play with that, they say they have the routine, but then they have a bad series or something. And then they're doing a whole new routine the next week to have somebody um, just do the same thing, good or bad, 
they're doing the same thing every day, that's when you know like they're bought into what they're doing, they believe in what they're doing. And that's when I think it takes that next level of, okay, he's taking it really serious, but he knows, he knows what gets him right, you know, because everyone's different. So you do, there's so many different drills and stuff people do in cages to get ready to go play. And, and it doesn't look the same. Like everyone's got different stuff going on there. High tees, low tees, short bats, heavy bats. There's so much different stuff, but it's figuring out what works for you. You know, everyone's different. Yeah. So yeah. once you do figure that out, you know, buy into it enough to trust it and do it through the good and the bad, I think that's when it becomes a real routine and you're, and you're trusting it. Or that's for me, at least. That's how I do it makes total sense because this game has so many highs and lows. Like you said, it makes sense to have something that you can count on every single day to yeah. get you locked into play. It's just, uh, man, it's just, it's such a crazy game. Um, okay. So I want to talk about your, your experience in Stockton as a port. Um, uh -huh. I had somebody earlier this fall tell me that when they got to Stockton, it was the first time in their pro career when they saw the stadium and, and, you know, so on and so forth, went through a couple game days. There was the first time they felt like, okay, I've kind of reached, not the big time, but like this is legit professional baseball. Yeah. What was your experience like when, you know, you, the first time you saw the ballpark, first game day, uh, whatever, what was your experience like in Stockton as a port? Yeah. As I was saying, I was actually, I was talking to you before the, uh, before we came on, but uh, I played there a couple times in high school. So I've seen the field before, but obviously when you're playing high school, it's not, you don't have the fans like the announcer or any of the music or anything, but so I've seen like this, the baseline of the field. So I knew what the field looked like coming in. And I never really knew, growing up, I would go to the San Jose Giants games, I was closer to them. But I never really knew what like the atmosphere was like there or anything. And then getting to go there, especially from Beloit, which I don't know if you've been to Beloit, it's kind of like a ghost town, not too much going on. So, uh, I heard they're building a new stadium though. They are building a new stadium and it looks sweet. And it looks yeah. sweet. Um, but yeah, so I never knew what, going from Beloit where it's kind of, you had, some nights you had 12 fans and then um, go to Stockton is opening night was great. We played ranchos, packed house, you know, the fireworks going, you got the PA announcer, you got the walk-up songs going. It was awesome. It was uh, definitely that, that first step where you're like, whoa, like this is pretty, this is pretty cool. Like you get treated pretty good. here. So yeah, that was a, uh, that was a good experience that first night uh, opening night. Even down to like the clubhouse, right? I was talking to Vic oh, Sapien, right, yeah, yeah. Uh, earlier this year, and he was just telling me how how great of a setup he has in the clubhouse with just all the amenities there, the washing machines, uh, the weight room. I think the weight room out there out there in the clubhouse. Yeah, the big, too, bigger right? weight I mean, room, more space. Yeah. You know, they got the ping pong, more like lounging area. Um, yeah, every, I mean, every every check, you, every box you check a little bit better from, at least for me, when I when I. Uh, and Beloit to there so yeah um, yeah it was just awesome it was just a step up in every department uh, like you said the weight room the locker room was great uh, just the treatment you know you can for the games you need like a red bull or something you can talk to one of the clubhouse guys and they'll, they'll hook you up and it, it was just a it was a great experience for the fans too like I, one thing I've really learned about Stockton is how deep-seated the club is in the community uh, and just how, you know, obviously how long the club has been there, but how much people care about the club in Stockton. Do you get that sense? Oh, yeah. The fans are awesome. And, you know, you walk down because you got to walk down the uh, first baseline to get to and from the clubhouse. So, and you start, as the season gets longer and longer, you start seeing the same faces on your walk there and back. And you kind of get that feel for like the, who the loyal 
diehard fans, if you want to call them die, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> yeah, and they're awesome. You know, good or bad, you'd have a good night, bad night. They're they're just as happy to see you and like give you a handshake and like uh, they just make you they make you feel good. You know, they make you feel special. It's awesome. They're, they were good the whole season. They were they were awesome. You mentioned ping pong. Trace Lair told me that no one wants to see Ricky in ping pong that, that ricky henderson will wreck shop in ping pong is that yeah true? Rick, ricky is the man of ping and we had a pretty good team ping pong like team we had some we had a tournament at one point and uh yeah ricky i think beat us all and he'll let you know why he's doing it though how he's beat. <laughs> <laughs> which makes it almost more frustrating because you think you're good i mean he probably hasn't played in like a year and he just comes on the table just hasn't hit a ping pong ball in a year and just dominates so, I loved yeah, Ricky. I mean, awesome. he was my favorite player when I was growing up. I feel like he invented swag in baseball. Oh, he's you know, the best. Like popping his collar, going around the yeah, bases. Um, he's, yeah. he's phenomenal. He's awesome. He's and he's and he's awesome to work with when he does get a when he does you know he robes he goes everywhere. But when he wasn't Stockton, it's great just to see his his opinion, how he talks about things, how he viewed the game. It's just it, to hear from somebody like that is amazing. So well, I'd imagine especially for a player like you with your skill set. Yeah, right. Well, especially I mean, with trying to steal. I mean, that's if yeah. you're if you want to be a base stealer, that's you can't pick a better person in the world to talk to than him. So yeah, it's like I said, whenever he's come around, you just all ears, you know, just listen anything, pick up on anything he's saying. So it's great to have him around. All right, man. I want to end it with this. Um, July sixth, two thousand nineteen. Do you remember what happened that day? July sixth. In a home game against Modesto, a nine to one loss. Do you remember what happened? Nine to one loss against Modesto. Did a dog run on the field or something? You pitched an inning. Oh, I did pitch an inning. Yes, I know. <laughs> I remember that. I mean, there was a couple of weird nights in July. We had one night a dog ran on the field, and it took like forty-five minutes to get it out. Like oh. no one wanted to play. It like looked kind of like an angry dog, so like no one wanted to go too close to it. But uh, I do remember pitching. I got a strikeout too. Johnny you did Adams, get a strikeout. Yep. Who, who was the strikeout? Against Johnny Adams. Johnny Adams, like a shortstop, yeah. right? Shortstop, yep. So, so and I played you... against him and Clinton and stuff. So I mean, we you know whenever I'm on second, he's just we're always talking. He's a good, great. He's but yeah, I got a strikeout. Um, I think a pop out. I forget the other out. But yeah, that was that was a fun night. First so I want to know for first time pitching ever. No, uh, in pro ball, first time pitching. Okay. I, I was, I guess, since high school. I didn't pitch in college at all. So yeah. First time really pitching. So when when the decision is made that you know the skipper says, "Hey, we need a position player to go out and and, and get these last three outs." Like we're you know we're, we're moving on to tomorrow. You're down by eight runs, right? Yeah. How does that conversation go? Does someone volunteer? Like, did you volunteer? Like, what happens? I think it's just scenario? the luck of who's out that day. That like um, I don't know. Like I think it's just whoever the extra guy is, and it's not going to be. <laughs> catcher generally because they need the second catcher in case something happens but um yeah so it was just like a super casual he was just like hey like nick we need you go get loose so i was pumped like i was pumped like my first time pitching just down there and uh i think i threw harder in the bullpen than i did. i think i've used all my bullets in the bullpen because i was so pumped but uh yeah it was fun pitchers always like i think i was more nervous pitching than i've ever been hitting or being on pitch i remember i remember like feeling like the heartbeat and everything. It was a 9-1 game. Like, no, no pressure. But I, I, for some reason, I was more nervous pitching than just doing anything else. As a pitcher, and I'm sure a lot of pitchers feel the same way, like I always want to know what it's like coming to the plate with my walkout song playing and hear my name announced. 
What was it like for you running from the bullpen in the outfield out to the mound? Oh, it if was. You got to do it. It felt. I uh, actually got like Trevor to, Hoffman, where you're like, you know. I actually got to start the inning fresh, so I had to run from the dugout, and uh, I don't. I don't really remember much about the run onto the field, but I remember after the inning, I'm used to running off the field, and Tinky used to always have like the swaggy walk off the field, and I like ran the first three or four steps, and I caught myself like, oh, I'm pitching. It's not like I like stopped kind of awkwardly and like walked the rest of the way from the baseline. So, but I remember that, like, I remember feeling like, oh, I got to walk and pitching, but I mean, whatever. So, but it was, it was fun. It was a good night. Do you pull it off? Do you pull the walk off? I mean, for the, I was, I mean, it, it was a tough look because I had the, I ran the first four steps just out of muscle memory, I think. But uh, yeah, I think I pulled it off. I wish I would have ended it with the strikeout, the third batter, the third out of the inning, and then like that's how I was finishing. You know how they do it when they walk. Oh, pitch and they start walking. They know right away. Well, let me ask you this: What's better, is it that or the K strut? I don't know if you follow the Pitching Ninja on Twitter, but the K strut oh, is I one did. of my favorites. Yeah, no, the K strut's awesome too. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, I don't know. I like I like the I like the walk off the mound after the strikeout. Not as a hitter, obviously, when I when I'm the victim of it, but. And I was up there feeling like, wow, that'd be really cool to do. I understand why like, it's a cool thing. So. Oh, when the ball goes around the infield, it's, it's the best. Yeah. You just feel like uh, you're on top of the world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tell me about your shirt real quick before we're, before we're done here. Oh, this is very much. It's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. It's pretty, just like a, you know, simple comment. I'm a big, huge Barry Bonds fan. So he actually well, he's Sarah, a Sarah actually, Padre. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So yeah. him and Tom Brady. So we got get big, true. Uh, yeah, great, uh, great athletes out of there. Did you grow up a Giants fan or an A's fan? Uh, kind of both. I was just kind of a baseball fan, really. Just yeah. whatever was on, I would want to watch. I, I was. I mean, it was cool, obviously, the uh, the run the Giants went on, but uh, yeah. getting to see the playoff baseball. But just really any baseball, I'd want to watch. It was it was fun. Right, right. And you're following the playoffs right now. Yeah, I, I watch. I'm, I got the team, and I love it. The wild card games, the games start in Chicago. I wake up, and the games are starting at like twelve. Yeah. So I watch baseball from twelve all the way. Through the, uh, through the night, and they got the uh, Dodgers-Brewers nightcap, so it's great. Oh, it's phenomenal. I mean, it's like it's like an NFL Sunday, like the red zone. In, yeah, exactly. I like how ESPN's doing that right now. Yep, I love it. So, yeah, yeah it's, been, it's been great watching it. Well, I'll let you get to it, man. Uh, Mickey McDonald, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, listen, I hope you're not in Stockton next year. I hope I hope you're, you're, you're back in Midland again. I mean, that'd be great for you. But uh, if, you, if for some weird reason you are in Stockton, man, I look forward to, uh, to getting to know you even more. Uh, best luck the rest of the offseason. Again, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Portside Pod. If there are topics or interview subjects you'd like to hear on future episodes, tweet at me, at ajensen86. The Portside Pod is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other platforms, as well as at our home, anchor.fm slash stockton-ports. You can also visit the Ports website at stocktonports.com and follow the Ports on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and other social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Alex Jensen. Please stay safe, and we'll talk to you on the next episode of the Portside Pod.